Today we continue through the book of James. We've been taking it paragraph by paragraph, if not verse by verse. Today we're in James chapter 3, where he talks about taming the tongue. Now James is the younger brother of Jesus, and a lot of times he'll make references to some of the things Jesus has said, and, and so we're journeying our way through the book of James. This is the time, if you brought your a listening guide. We make this available online at um, fbcborough.church every Friday, and you can print it, bring it with you, or you can uh, use the Uversion app or whatever note-taking device you'd like to have. But let's consider what the Scripture has to say about taming the tongue. James writing at chapter 3, starting at verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring can yield both salt water and fresh. Taming the tongue. Taming the tongue. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie, isn't it? That's a lie. I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you. You know, somehow we learn that little lyric when we're children. I don't know that anybody teaches us. We just learn it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That, that, that's not true. Words are hurtful. Words are harmful. Words are, can be painful in people's lives. They're powerful containers that, that penetrate and pierce our hearts and our souls, and they cause hurt and division and regret. Instead, the lyric ought to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can really hurt me. Words really do hurt me. I might recover from the sticks and stones and broken bones, although I'm not looking for any of those necessarily today. <laughs> I can recover from sticks and stones and broken bones, but the pain and the hurt from words lingers. Haven't you experienced that in your own life? 
I would imagine for some of you, the greatest wounds that you carry are not from being a, a victim of a blindside block on the football field, <laughs> or maybe in the schoolyard you fell off the playground equipment, or in the business world somebody betrayed you in a, in a business deal, but the greatest pain that you probably carry today is because of what somebody said to you, or what they said about you, or your children, your family, or someone that you love. It was the words that they used that penetrated and pierced your heart. They were harmful, they were hurtful, they were painful, they were powerful. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but it is the words that people say to you that can really hurt you. Here's the main thing to know, phrased as a question today. Is God in control if my tongue is out of control? Can I really say God is in control of my life if my tongue is out of control? James is not so much concerned about trying to control what other people say. He says, look at your own life. Look at your own heart. What language, what speech, what words do you use? If your tongue is out of control, how can you legitimately say in your life that God is in control? And so he talks about taming the tongue as an indication that you've surrendered to the Lord Jesus and you're living a life for him with a controlled tongue. James tells us here in these, these 12 verses of chapter 3 that there's a threefold problem and a single solution to taming the tongue. Beginning at verse 1, he describes the, this threefold problem. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. And so uh, you follow along. We're going to go verse by verse. So pop open your phone uh, uh, app or use the Bible you brought with you. The first thing they, that uh, James says is that the tongue is dangerous. That, that's part of the problem. The, the, the tongue is dangerous and needs, needs to be tamed. The most dangerous things need to be tamed. A wild animal got to be tamed. A, a wild kid needs to be tamed. Uh, if something is docile, doesn't need taming. But Something that's dangerous does. Notice how dangerous it is. He begins in verse 1. My brethren, it's a warning. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So there's a warning of the danger of being a teacher. And he, when he says teacher, he doesn't necessarily mean if, if you're going into uh, uh, education and college, change your major. <laughs> He's not necessarily talking about school teachers or college professors, but, but teachers of God's Word. Bible teachers, pastors, Bible study leaders, Sunday school teachers, be careful, be warned, the tongue is dangerous. Now, what in the world does the danger of the tongue have to do with being a Bible teacher? Well, it's because the tool that Bible teachers use mostly to explain the Bible are their words. When I come here on Sunday morning, I don't bring a bunch of machinery and put together an automobile. And believe me, you don't want me to work on your automobile. I don't come up here with a calculator and tax forms and, and I do all your taxes and accounting, although I can refer somebody to you. The work I work in, and if you're a Bible study teacher, if you're a Sunday school leader, you work in the world of words. So be careful. Words are dangerous. And if, if your work is based on the words you share, Make sure you say the right thing in the right way for the right reason. That's the reason there's a stricter judgment because we work with words. And it says, who can tame those? If, if you don't, verse 2, if you don't stumble in word, you're a perfect man, 
able to bridle your whole body. And, there, and then he makes the point that small things can lead to a big impact. Small things have a big impact. In verse 3, he says, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. The horse is a muscular, majestic being. I mean, a horse has more power and strength than any man or woman does, but yet even a child can lead this, this massive, muscular being called a horse just with the bit and bridle the right way with the reins and how they're led. Now, I'd have you to know that's the full extent of my knowledge of horse riding. That's all I know. But being a pastor, I can speak at length on things I know very little about. So that's, that's, what, that's what we do because I work in words, as we say. But even children can ride a horse if the bit and the bridle are used properly, whatever that means. <laughs> Small things can do, make a big difference. Then in verse 4, he used the example of a ship. These mighty ocean-going vessels that face waves and fierce winds, they can be turned by a very, relatively very small piece of the ship called a rudder. Small things, a bit in the horse's mouth, a rudder on the rear of the ship. Small things can make big differences. And James says the tongue is a, the tongue is a small thing. In verse 5, see what a great force can be set ablaze by just a little thing. So be careful. Be warned. The tongue is dangerous. It's a small thing, but it can cause a forest fire. It can set the world on fire when it's used the wrong way and at the wrong time for the wrong reason. How many people have been hurt? How many relationships have been broken? How many regrets have people had to live with because somebody could not control their tongue? What about your life? How many broken relationships and regretful moments have you lived through because you or someone near you didn't know how to control and tame the tongue? So the tongue is dangerous. Then James continues, tells us the second part of this threefold problem, starting in verse 6, that the tongue is destructive. It can destroy things like nothing else. Not everything that's dangerous is necessarily destructive, but the two are only a few steps apart, are they not? He continues in verse 6 and says the tongue is a fire. He leans into that imagery of the tongue being a fire. And it is a world of iniquity. I hope you're tracking with me verse by verse. It's a world of iniquity, meaning hardly anything good will come out of an untamed tongue, an uncontrolled tongue. The wrong thing said in the wrong place with the wrong spirit Hardly ever is going to be, that's just a world of iniquity. And James says that's the destructive part of it. In verse 6, then, he, he, he gives two particular examples. First, he says, the tongue is set among our members that it defiles the whole body. You see that phrase in verse 6? The tongue, untamed, defiles the whole body. Now, remember that James is the younger brother of Jesus. And the Gospels have not been written by the time James wrote this. As a matter of fact, the book of James in your Bible was probably one of the first written accounts that became part of our Scripture. Historically, it's probably about the year 40 A.D. And the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books weren't written to a decade or two or so later. 
And so James never directly quotes Jesus like the Gospels do, but James makes lots of references to Jesus' teachings. And here's one of those. We've seen that time and time again every Sunday we've been in James, because Jesus talked about how the tongue defiles the body. And although James doesn't directly quote it, he's referencing to that conversation Jesus had. The reference is in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, where Jesus is trying to teach about what really defiles a person, doesn't. There's a lot of rules and rituals. The Jewish leaders are saying, why don't your uh, disciples observe all the rules? Why don't they wash their hands the right way? Look at how they're defiling themselves. And Jesus said, listen here. That's, that's a John Waters paraphrase. <laughs> listen here, he says, it's not what goes into the mouth, eating certain foods, not eating certain foods, washing certain ways, not washing, doing this. Doing it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the man, but what comes out of the mouth. That's what defiles. And James apparently knew that teaching of Jesus. He said, your tongue can be, it's dangerous and it's destructive, so much so that it is a world of iniquity and the way you speak with the wrong words at the wrong time, with the wrong spirit, that defiles the whole body, just as Jesus taught that it does. And then in verse 6, he says a second thing. It sets on fire the course of nature and set on fire by hell. Now, that's a very curious uh, a phrasing that James uses there, sets on fire the course of nature. It's really the only time the Bible ever uses that word interchange. And so Bible translators are a little uh, curious about how to translate it. He wrote originally in the ancient language of, of, of the New Testament, ancient Greek. And so we're fortunate to read our English Bibles. And, uh, but translators struggle. What is this course of nature. Literally, it, it, he's talking about the wheel of existence. Now, we don't like that because it sounds too much like the Buddhist, <laughs> the, the wheel, the, or, or uh, Simba in the circle of life. Y'all have heard of that, haven't you, too, that, that we just keep reincarnation. But, but James is trying to top, tap into that, that as your life goes on, as your life goes on, he's not, he's not buying into reincarnation, but he says, when you have the sense of your existence in the world, and the word, the word there translated nature literally is the word genesis, your, your existence, your being. That as you live your life, to put it in colloquial vernacular, he's saying, as you go about the ups and downs of your life, the tongue will either make your life a joy or it will be like burning from the pits of hell, he says in verse 6. And the tongue is so destructive that as you go through the, the wheel of existence, the course of nature, as you go through the seasons of life, the words you use can destroy your life. How many people have destroyed their families? They've destroyed their reputation. They've destroyed their careers. They've destroyed their lives because the tongue was a fire. And verse 6, it was a fire set ablaze by hell itself. It's dangerous, and an uncontrolled tongue can be very destructive, ruining everything in its path. The third part of the problem of the untamable tongue is that the tongue is divided. Starting in verse 9, it's divided. With it, he says, we bless God... And with it, we curse men. On one hand, we, we bless our God and Father. 
But on the second hand, we curse men, and James says, those who have been made in the similitude of God. Now, what in the world does that mean, the similitude? It means made in the likeness of God. They bear the image of God. Y'all remember the story in uh, Genesis when God speaking as God in three persons, he said, let us make men and women our image. So male and female, he created them and they bore the image of God. So every man and woman you meet, every boy and child you meet bears the image of God, meaning God has revealed who he is, his character, his attributes in human beings, not giraffes, not oak trees, not, not doves or turtles, but in human beings, God revealed his likeness, not physical likeness, but his attributes. Now, not everybody is a child of God. Make sure you don't misunderstand that. The Bible's clear. Not everybody is a child of God. Those who do not believe in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior are not children of God. They're, they're created by God. They bear the likeness of God, but the Scriptures clearly teach that when we don't know Jesus Christ, when we're separated from God, we're children of wrath, children of the world, but only when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus do we then become adopted into His family and become children of God. So not everybody is a child of God, but everybody, every man, woman, girl, you, and boy you meet bears the likeness or the image of God. They have value, they have worth because they bear the image of God. That's why in chapter 2, he went directly to the issue of favoritism and discrimination and today how it reveals itself in racism because no matter what race somebody is, no matter what culture he's from, no matter what language he speaks, that person bears the image of God. And how can we bless God on one hand and with the same tongue curse somebody that bears a likeness of God? That's why the tongue is dangerous and destructive, because we can speak out of both sides of our mouth. And then notice uh, what he says in verse uh, uh, 11, where he uses an illustration. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? And can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or grapevine bear figs, thus no spring can yield both salt water and fresh. And, and James, like his brother Jesus, used simple illustrations to teach profound truths that when's the last time you went to a freshwater spring and it was giving brackish water or salt water mixed into it? If it, if it does that, it's not a freshwater spring. It doesn't make sense. And, and how can you tell what a fig tree is? Well, the simple way is it's bearing figs. And, and, and didn't Jesus, again, this may be another example of James quoting Jesus indirectly. Jesus said, you will know a tree by the fruit that it bears. So how do you know a fig tree? How do you know an apple tree? How do you know an orange tree? By the fruit that it bears. You know a fig tree is a fig tree, not because there's a sign on it that says, this here is a fig tree. You look and see the figs. And James says, how can we with the same mouth bless God and curse men? We need to bear the fruit and not have a divided tongue. And the tongue is dangerous and destructive, and it is divided when it's untamed and uncontrollable. And is God really in control if my tongue is out of control? So James says that's the threefold problem. The dangerous, destructive, divided tongue. But yet he says there's a single solution to it. 
The single solution is found in verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Notice that James doesn't say, out of the same mouth we bless and curse. Isn't that just too bad we were created that way? He doesn't say, that's just who we are. I do the best I can. He says, brother, it ought not to be that way. And he's teaching us that the tongue must be disciplined. There are choices to be made. There's a surrender of your heart. There's a taming of your tongue. That we don't say things in the wrong way, at the wrong place, with the wrong spirit, for the wrong reason. It ought not to be that way. We don't speak with a divided tongue. We're children of God. We've surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. It ought not to be that way. We shouldn't sing about the glory of the Lord Jesus on Sunday morning and be out there telling dirty jokes on Monday afternoon. It ought not to be that way. We shouldn't be here in church quoting Scripture and praying together and then gossiping with people during the week. It ought not to be that way. We shouldn't be here blessing God with the songs we sing and the words we say and go out there and talk like the world. The Bible says, discipline your tongue because to speak out of both sides of your mouth to bless God and curse men, it simply ought not to be that way. So we tame the tongue. Now, I understand he said, verse 8, no man can tame the tongue, but God can. Maybe you haven't tamed your tongue. Maybe I haven't tamed my tongue because I haven't disciplined it under the, the control of the Holy Spirit. And is God in control if my tongue remains out of control? It was uh, years ago in the very first church I ever served, we had a lady stand up one day in our meeting, and godly, lovely lady, and we've had dinner in her home over the years. Uh, this was at Lawrence County, Georgia. She said, my daddy taught me, if you were to think it, you might as well say it. So here's some things I want to say. I thought, oh, no. But she said some good things. She was very encouraging, you know, so forth. But I thought to myself, we dodged, I thought to myself, we dodged a bullet there. <laughs> because if your daddy said, if you were to think it, you might as well say it. Your daddy was wrong because there is wisdom. There is virtue. There is maturity, spiritual maturity. And just because you think it, having enough wisdom not to say it. Control that tongue. Walk it back. Sometimes spiritual wisdom, spiritual maturity means you don't say something at the wrong time or the wrong place for the wrong reason. But by faith in spiritual maturity, when you discipline your tongue, you know the right thing to say, the right way to say it, and the right reasons to say it. Otherwise, James says it ought not to be that way. Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That means when you're in a confrontation and somebody has flamed you or said something to you, a soft word just diffuses that bomb. It turns away wrath. Now, I've been guilty of ignoring or disobeying Proverbs 15.1 many times. I can give you Dates, locations, and the people sitting around the table where they, they said something harsh 
And by the, by, I thought selfishly by the word of the Lord, I said something harsh back. <laughs> they were snarking to me and I was snarky back to them. I gave as good as I got. And I still remember those times and most always the subsequent regret that came into my heart. But there have been other times when I responded with a soft answer. And lo and behold, it turned away wrath. And I can't think hardly ever of a time when I responded with a soft answer that I ever regretted it. So the tongue is dangerous, destructive, and divided. But God's Spirit enables you to tame it and discipline it and speak a soft word in times of wrath. Is God in control if my tongue is out of control? So how do you live that way day by day then? What does that look like? How do you, how do you live with a tamed tongue in your life? Well, let me uh, finish my message by all of us asking ourselves what I call 10 soul-searching soul questions. I'm always going to call this 10 tangly teasers for an untangled tongue. But I was afraid I couldn't get that out more than once. <laughs> So 10 soul-searching questions. <laughs> Remember Colossians 3, I mean Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt. That's what the scriptures say. Now a lot of us get this reversed. We, we have salty speech, we try to season with grace. But the Bible says, God's word says, you need to have grace-filled speech which you then season with salt, meaning truth. Speak truth but make sure you speak with grace, seasoned with salt. See, some people say, think you can say anything you want to say as long as it's true. But make sure you speak with grace, season it with salt. Don't speak salty words you try to season with grace. We, we see that uh, most commonly in a kind of funny way when people think they can say anything about anybody as long as at the end you tag on the phrase, bless their heart. That is the ugliest baby I have ever seen. Looks like a creature from the fourth lagoon. Bless its heart. <laughs> or that outfit that woman is wearing is, is hideous. It doesn't match. It's the wrong style. It doesn't fit. Bless her heart. <laughs> and we have salty speech that we try to season with grace instead of graceful speech that we've seasoned with salt. And so how do, you, how do you live that way? Well, let's, let's walk through these 10 questions. And I need to answer these for myself, and you need to answer these for yourself. Number one, do I typically build up people or tear down people with my speech? Now, if you don't know the answer to this, your family members and coworkers do. If you're not sure, they are. So if you've got enough courage, ask them. Do I usually build people up or do I usually tear people down? That's an issue of are you taming the tongue? Question number two. Is my first reaction usually critical? When you hear something or somebody expresses an idea, is your go-to position why it won't work, why you're against it, why you don't like it? There's always a critical response. <laughs> is that your go-to I remember years ago talking to a, 
uh, a church member. And th- this church member said that um, she had the gift of prophecy, and she would just speak her mind and speak certain things. And, and, and I realized she didn't have the gift of prophecy. She just had the gift of being rude. You're being critical and rude is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> so do you, your first reaction, is it a critical thing? Or have you disciplined your tongue accordingly? Number three, I forgot to mention, this is the part of the sermon where I quit preaching and go to meddling. <laughs> All right? So don't leave. The best is yet to come. <laughs> Do I use vulgar language? Uh-oh. With the same tongue, we bless God and we use profanity, obscenity. Is that in your life? Uh, is, that, is that a habit of yours? Or maybe you don't use profane words, but uh, you don't mind hearing a dirty joke every now and then. And you'll laugh at it like the other guys, or you, you'll tell something about somebody. You use some salacious, sultry, inappropriate, uh, God-dishonoring language and don't think anything about it. Are you taming your tongue? Number four, am I generous with compliments? This is something I've learned in recent days, that uh, compliments are free. Give them away. (laughs) I was reading a book the other day that said, give away compliments. Just everywhere, just give them away. They're free. Give them away. You're you're, you're standing in line at Walmart. Compliment the person's checking you out somehow. Don't say, you know, you're a whole lot less slower than the guy the week before. (laughs) Don't say it like that. (laughs) Compliment the person. You're getting your food at a drive-thru? Throw out a compliment. Compliments are free. Be generous with your compliments. Don't make somebody earn your compliment. Give them away. Give them away. Give them away. They're free. Just give them away to everybody. Use your speech that way. Number five. Is this number five? Number five, do I gossip? Do I gossip? You know, a lot of people think as long as it's true, you're not gossiping, but they're wrong. <laughs> Most gossip is true. It's just truth that you don't need to be talking about it that way at that time to that person. And, and a lot of times we'll, we'll disguise gossip as a prayer request. Oh, you need to know about this because we need to pray for them. You hadn't prayed for them. You don't plan to pray for them. You just want to gossip about them. And remember what my mama told me. She's the second greatest theologian I've ever known. <laughs> Those people that are gossip to you, They're the ones going to gossip about you. So don't feed that fire. Don't stoke that flame. It dishonors Christ and hurts other people. Next question, whatever number it is. uh, Am I prone to exaggeration? There's little white lies. Or maybe just stretching the truth. If you stretch the truth, is it really the truth? (laughs) I mean, think about it. But yet we'll exaggerate usually it's to make our own selves look a little better in the eyes of somebody else. That's a pride issue. At the heart of that is a sin issue. And if you don't control your tongue and you exaggerate things, that dishonors the Lord. When I do it, it dishonors the Lord when you do it as well. Number um, seven. Thank you. (laughs) Mine aren't numbered, so note to self. (laughs) Do I speak through my keyboard in ways I wouldn't in person. Now we're really starting to meddle, aren't we? I mean, we, 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 
we don't realize that controlling your tongue sometimes begins with the fingers at the end of your keyboard. But we'll sit at our keyboard and we'll say something online, or we'll, we'll tweet something, we'll put something and uh, we'll post something here, post something there, and, and we'll say something through our keyboard. We'd never sit down face to face and say somebody. We'll get behind our keyboard, we'll be brave and bold and rude, but, but we never would do that in person because we know it wouldn't honor the Lord in person, but somehow we hide behind our keyboards and it dishonors the God every time we do it. So do I speak through my keyboard in ways that would dishonor the Lord? Number eight, does my speech stir things up or settle things down? Are you the kind of person that can kind of calm the moment by a word fitly spoken? Or are you out there just stoking the flame, stirring, and when somebody says something, you say, you know, you're right, I don't think that either. You're just like a snowball. Do, do your words stir things up? Or do you show wisdom and grace and kindness to use your words to settle things down? I tell everybody in our leadership training here at the church that uh, everybody's got two buckets. On one hand, you got a bucket of water, one hand, a bucket of gas. And I talk to our deacons, our church staff, and other leaders and say, when, when you're in our church and you hear a spark of discontent or a spark of controversy or a spark of anger, you have a choice to either pour on a bucket of water or you pour on a bucket of gasoline. Usually by the words you speak and the responses that you make. So do you show wisdom? Do you control the tongue in that sense? Number nine, do I speak with kindness? It's hardly ever wrong to be kind. And number 10, is my speech filled with grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus. Remember in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. So our main thing to know today, is God in control if my tongue is out of control? I've got to answer that for myself. You've got to answer that for yourself. But can you literally say, God is in control of my life if your tongue is running out of control? That's what James is talking about as a part of this everyday faith. So what are you going to do this week? Like I said last Sunday, not starting in January. What are you going to do this week that's going to demonstrate through Christ your taming your tongue that is so dangerous and so destructive? You know, it all begins by giving your life to Jesus. You, you can't do this on your own. And that's the reason God's people are a higher standard. First, you've got to give your life to Jesus. Confess your sins. Realize that He died on that cross as your substitute. He bore the wrath of God so you could find the righteousness of God. And He makes available to you forgiveness, peace, and eternity. If you will surrender to Him as Lord and Savior, that's where it begins. And once you give your life to Jesus, then you live your life for Jesus each and every day. Is there some way that I can help you with that? Perhaps you're here this morning, and you've been thinking and considering, and, and you're ready to give your life to the Lord Jesus. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to show you how you can find the truth of that in the Scriptures. Or maybe you made that commitment years ago, but you're having just some struggles with then living it out. 
living for Jesus. I'd love to come alongside you, either me or one of our staff ministers, to help you in those things. What I ask you to do is either send me an email. My email is very simple. It's john at fbc-statesboro.org. That comes straight to me. Straight to me. Nobody sees it. Nobody filters it. Send me a note that says, I'd like to talk about how I give my life to Jesus or I can grow in my faith. Or you can use these uh, Connect cards we've made available. You see these in the pew racks right there in front of you. You scan this code with your phone. It takes you to our fbcboro.church page, and you can put in whether you've got information about our church or information about a commitment we've talked about. Or maybe like many have done behind the scenes, you want to make the commitment of church membership. Even during COVID-19, we had people making the commitment of memberships, and we're meeting with them. We had baptism in the last service. Maybe your step is baptism. Or you just got some questions, and you can use this uh, Connect card for all that and so much more. But I pray that as you consider living your life for Jesus, that as you've heard the truth from His Word today, you would respond as God's Spirit has led you in this next coming week. Now let's pray together. Lord, as we sing this final song today, help us to sing it as a song of commitment and as an expression of our faith. Help us to live for Jesus. Help us to give our life to Jesus. And may we specifically know how to tame our tongues through your grace. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this final song of commitment in our response to the Lord today. Thank you again for joining our live stream this morning. I'd like for you to know that as we wrap up the service inside, you too can make a commitment to follow Jesus by going to fbcborough.church. There you'll be able to let us know that you've made a decision or maybe you're just interested in the programs and activities that we have to offer. Thanks again for joining us today at First Baptist Church and we look forward to walking alongside this journey with you.